The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, I guess otherwise known as Broken Wing, joined by Jean Auge. <laughs> And jumbo cheese. Get your extra cheese. That goes out to the one emailer who doesn't seem to like when we have fun. These nicknames are all about us just cutting it up and having a good time. So kick back, relax, and enjoy the show. We're discussing the Hamilton Tiger Cats trading for an impact linebacker. Former CFL MOP, Kerry Joseph, becoming the quarterback's coach of the Chicago Bears. Where the CFL's top running backs could end up in free agency. The Calgary Stampeders finalizing their coaching staff. And Canadian edge rusher Luol Uguak signing with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But first. Pod, you said that name flawlessly. He's back. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers have signed fan favorite quarterback Chris Strevler to a one-year contract for the 2024 season after he spent the past four seasons in the NFL. What can we expect from the man in the fur hat? Fur hat? No. Cowboy hat and fur coat, you dummy. Now that he's returned to the CFL. Thanks, B-Dub. I think this is an interesting move for the Bombers. What can we expect on the field? I think on the field, we can expect to see him used in tandem at times with Zach Kolaris. Buck Pierce, I think, will find creative ways to get Streveler on the field. He's done that the past few seasons with Dakota Prukop at times. All due respect to Dakota Prukop, Chris Streveler is in a different league when it comes to his athletic ability. I think we're going to see him used in short yardage packages. I think we're going to see him used in specialized packages. Another thing I'm interested to see is the last time Chris Trevler was in the CFL in 2019, you weren't allowed to have two quarterbacks on the field at the same time. Now you can, and I'm positive, I would bet my house that Buck Pierce at some point in 2024 is going to find a way to get Zach Kolaris and Chris Streveler on the field at the same time, likely taking advantage of the fact that Streveler actually played some receiver in college and, of course, is fully capable of running the ball as a ball carrier. So that to me, I love, I like all of that. I do still have questions about who the quarterback of the future in Winnipeg is right. They use drew Brown in that number two role this past season. He's now in the Ottawa red blacks signed through 2025 in the nation's capital. The bombers have a couple of intriguing quarterbacks who are young in camp, Eric Berrier being one of them who I think probably has the highest ceiling. Uh, but obviously we don't know what he's going to do. It's possible. He could totally flame out. It's happened a million times from highly regarded college players at the quarterback position coming to the CFL. The other thing I have questions about, and this remains unclear as of now, 
How much money is Chris Treveller making? Because this is a team that has Dalton Schoen, Jermarcus Hardrick, Brady Oliveira, Jackson Jeffcoat, Demario Houston, like a litany of all-star caliber players still set to hit the free agent market in just two weeks. To me, if I'm the one of Big Blue Bombers, I'm not signing Chris Treveller right now if I'm still hopeful that I'm going to be able to get a bunch of these pending free agents back. To me, this almost feels like an admission from the Bombers that they're not going to be able to retain a lot of these a lot of these top free agents. And at that point, you have to ask the question, is this worth it, right? Chris Trevler's a, a sensational personality. He's got a lot of talent. But is he going to help you win more games than a Brady Oliveira or than a Dalton Schoen? I think that's a fair question to ask. It very much is, Hodge. And I've never personally been much of a fan of the package quarterback, the guy that you take your starter off the field for for a few plays and bring a guy in because everyone on the defense knows what's happening. But Chris Strevler is the type of athlete that changes the equation a little bit. He is that good, and he is that physical. I think that's the thing that we forget about Chris Strebler's game. Not only is he fast, but even if the defense knows what's coming with the design quarterback run, he'll run through your face. He doesn't care. He'll do it screaming. We've seen it happen before. So he's a guy who can bring that value no matter what. I think he's improved as a passer uh, during his time in the NFL, which doesn't often happen. He struggled throwing the ball at times in his first stint in the CFL. I think you're more confident now with him as a primary backup than you were back in the day when you had to bring in Calaris for that Grey Cup run to get you somebody who could reliably throw the ball. But he's going to bring you value on the field no matter what. The big question just is, Is he making high-end backup money? Is he making low-end backup money? Where is the price tag here? I think the element that might suggest he's making less than he could have received elsewhere is Strevler's marketability. We all know that the Winnipeg Blue Bombers love to get their guys in the community and get them other business opportunities out there. And despite the fact that he's not a starting quarterback, there are few players in the CFL more marketable than Chris Strevler because of how he celebrated that great cup and how it captured the imagination of everybody across the country. And so this is a guy I think who's going to have a whole lot of, of different opportunities in Winnipeg to, you know, put his face on, on different businesses and, and get out in front, have some side deals to make it work is worth his while. So I'm not sure he Mac maximized his contract value here, but that remains to be seen. But where else could he realistically have gone to maximize that value, guys? He was going to be a backup wherever he went in the CFL or at least potentially compete to be the starter if that was even an opportunity. And Hodge, to your point about you know his salary compared to Brady Oliveira or Dalton Schoen, he's probably going to come in cheaper, right? I would imagine he is somewhere around the $150,000 range because Winnipeg does want to try to get you know, some of those guys back and they've already given raises to some of the players that they have re-signed. So I think it does make sense for Strevler to come back. The one thing with the marketing aspect to this, and JC, I think you laid it out really well, is the fact that he left on the ultimate high note. And how long is that going to last in terms of making him 
off-field money, especially if he doesn't play well. I think he has a chance to still play at a high level on a Bombers team that is still favored to win the Grey Cup and the West Division. I think he can certainly be an asset to the offense, but it's easier to market off of those lasting images of him walking out of McMahon Stadium with the Grey Cup the way that he did with no shirt on and that cackle that he kind of let out there. And then obviously the cowboy hat, the fur coat, slamming beers during the parade there. And the way that he helped Winnipeg win that great cup with the multiple injuries that he had sustained throughout that season down the stretch in the playoffs. So it's a very intriguing signing. It makes sense for both sides, but only a one-year deal shows to me that Strebler's going to want to see where this quarterback market is in a year from now to see if there's that opportunity to potentially be a starter elsewhere in the CFL, unless the Bombers are willing to make him the succession plan for whenever it is that Zach Caleros wants to retire from playing at a consistently high level late in his career. I mean, you you ask where else he could go. I mean, I, I think we discussed last week, none of us really have confidence in Mason Fine as the backup in Saskatchewan. The BC Lions are on the record saying they want a veteran quarterback to replace Dane Evans as their number two. The Calgary Stampeders need someone to push Jake Mayer, you know, across the league. Like, like Caleb Evans is a good player. Does anybody here think that Caleb Evans is in the same league as Chris Streveler? Personally, no, but I'm just saying as a backup. I don't. Right? I get it. I, I get Trevler it. Is Winnipeg as a backup. I, I get that. But all I'm saying is I do think there, there should have been a substantial market for Chris Streveler, not in the, you know, Drew Brown, let's call it 250 to 300 range as a guy who's going to be a starter with the potential to grow into that $500,000, $600,000 quarterback. But I do think that there should have been a market for Chris Streveler. To me, he was the number one quarterback available. We had him as the number one quarterback available in our free agent rankings. No disrespect to Matthew Schiltz, who I think could find his way to BC. No disrespect to Jake Dolagala, who I think would be a good fit in Calgary for some of those needs across the league. But all I'm saying is I, I do think that Chris Streveler at this point is a more dangerous weapon than those players. And even if the Bombers didn't, break the bank here the bombers have spent a lot of money elsewhere chris kolonkowski got a fifty thousand dollar raise at center cam lawson is going to be the starting nose tackle he got a sixty thousand dollar raise off of his rookie deal so this team as much as they've saved a little bit of money on stanley bryant they renegotiated kenny lawler a little bit brought down nick Dembski's money just a little bit this team still has a lot of tough decisions to make. And there's a reason why, as we sit here and record this on January 31st, with the, the window opening in just a few days for, for pending free agents to negotiate and even agree to terms on contracts with teams across the league, a number of Winnipeg's top pending free agents have yet to resign. Is it a foregone conclusion that they're all leaving the peg? No. But what I'm saying is the Bombers clearly felt strongly about getting Chris Streveler in-house because there's a possibility that that addition, when they could have just rolled the dice with you know some young quarterbacks, not dissimilar, by the way, to what the Toronto Argonauts did this past season, saying, yeah, you know what? We're going to roll with Cameron Dukes as our number two. We don't care that nobody knows who Cameron Dukes is or cares about Cameron Dukes. We're going to develop him and trust him to be the guy. Guess what? Cameron Dukes played well, making next to no money in Toronto in 2023. 
Bombers have decided not to do that. They're spending in a 29-year-old, not a developmental quarterback, a guy who is as good as he will ever be to be that backup. And it'll be interesting to see, come free agency, what that means for this team's bottom line. The Montreal Alouettes released William Stanback, ending his five-season run in the Belle-Provence. The two-time CFL All-Star ran for 3,716 yards and 11 touchdowns with the team and helped the Owls win the 110th Grey Cup over the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, scoring a 32-yard touchdown in that contest. With a number of top running backs set to hit free agency, where do we think these guys could end up? Well, it's going to be an interesting market to follow this year, guys, because I think there's a glut currently of talented running backs available. And this game of musical chairs means that there isn't a ton of incentive for teams to overpay for them. And now there are guys that clearly are more valuable than others or that teams are willing to spend a little bit more than the average guy. Brady Oliveira coming out of Winnipeg is the exception being a ratio breaking Canadian. But if you miss out on your top guy and you're still going to fall face first into a guy who is two, three years removed from an all-star season, like William Stanback, then why would you overpay for a position that, the consensus in pro football now, guys, is it's not very valuable and is not worth paying a bunch of money to. We run down the list, right? Kadeem Carey, pending free agent in Calgary. Jamal Morrow in Saskatchewan. Oliveira, obviously, in Winnipeg. A.J. Lett in Toronto. Devontae Williams in Ottawa. And then, obviously, Stanback is already free in Montreal. Every all-star running back since the pandemic is currently a pending free agent and looks set to hit the market right now. That is absolutely absurd for a guy like Stanback. I wonder at his age, if he ends up sort of slipping a little bit and ends up being at the bottom end of that cycle where he falls to a team that maybe isn't valuing the running back position as highly. I wonder if the BC lions look to upgrade when they see this market flesh out and grab the last guy on the carousel. That would be an intriguing spot for me. Cause I think Stanback's style, the way he runs downhill would really fit what the lines have worked with in the past. The running back position is the group for the 2024 CFL free agency class, bar none with all of the names that you've ran down that have become household names and top among them is Brady Oliveira. There is no question the most outstanding Canadian from the 2023 season, only the 15th player in league history to record 2000 yards from scrimmage, only the second Canadian in league history to rush for over 1500 yards. The other was John Cornish in 2013 when he went over 1,800. And Oliveira, as well as the rest of these other running backs, deserve to try to get top dollar because we know how fast and hard the drop-off can be at the running back position. I do believe that Oliveira should be in the echelon of an Andrew Harris. He hasn't done it for quite as many seasons as Harris did when he got up into the highest earning years of his career, around $230,000. But 
He's got back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons, has shown that he can carry the load. And I know, you know our colleague Derek Taylor out at C-Job will say, well, that's just volume is the reason he got to 2,000 yards. But when I was talking to him about it, I'm like, you have to at least be able to sustain that load to get to that volume. So I think Oliveira is different from this group because he's a ratio breaker. He's a Canadian. You can put him in your lineup right away in pen as one of those difference makers as a starter. And, you know, it's interesting. We started this off talking about the Owls releasing Stanbeck because I think Montreal could be going after one of these running backs, if not multiple, when they get to the negotiating window. I think there's going to be at least a couple of these guys, if not more, that get to that period where they can openly talk to teams in the top Money getter, I think, is going to be Oliveira, and rightfully so. JC is going to shake his head and say, You shouldn't pay running backs, Canadians. You might as well just draft a different one every year and develop them. But I think in this Sorry, day and age, is, is Brady Oliveira. Is, is Brady Oliveira even available? I thought he was going to be flooded with NFL workouts, right? That's what you guys told me. Just a That's few not weeks what we ago. said. No, we never that, said that. Absolutely going to the NFL. Come on. What? I I was called ludicrous for saying it was a fantasy. How how many workouts he get? How many works it? I believe Sorry, if I remember I, that conversation correctly, I'm, he I'm had waiting. no workouts to answer your question. I, yeah, you said thank that you. It thank wasn't you. Thank you. for him to think and to seek out those opportunities. Clearly it was because it didn't happen. That no, that that is not how life works. If something didn't happen, that doesn't mean the chances of it happening were zero that that's that's not just just so we're clear that is not how life works no no if if it's a if there's a chance it could rain and then it doesn't rain that doesn't mean the chances of it raining were zero percent it means (laughs) that the chances of raining were somewhere between zero and 100 and it just didn't happen to rain right it was smart for Oliveira to exhaust the possibility of going to the nfl JC, you're right. He had no workouts, but he at least had to see because there was some level of interest there in a guy that's 26 years old and just produced a 2,000 yards from scrimmage season. He's in the prime of his career. I think it would be smart, dare I say, with JC Abbott, Jumbo Cheese on this podcast, for a team to invest $200,000 in signing this guy for a couple of years. You know he's going to produce. He has proven he's going to stay healthy. And he's a ratio breaker. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I would say very much similar for a couple of these other running backs. A.J. Ouellette has proven he can be the guy to handle a load, versatile skill set, every down kind of running back, catches the ball smoothly. I think he probably deserves to be the top paid American running back in the league and take that title away from standback. And then I look at a guy like Kadeem Carey, who, when healthy – is among the best and has proven in the past that he can be the best running back in the league, still has a lot of gas in his proverbial tank, I think. And I really believe that on the right team and used properly can still be ultra productive. JC, I know you don't want to hear it. You just want to go grab one of the thousands of running backs coming out of NCAA Division One and plug them in. But all these guys have a leg up on those players because they know how to play CFL football. So I'm very intrigued to see how this market plays out because I think it might show that in some ways, Mr. Abbott's running backs take is a little bit wrong. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? 
These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And there's going to be some all of these guys contracts are, for these guys. All of these guys are thousand-yard rushers. Like, they're interchangeable. Like, And some are better at certain skill sets than others. I will admit that, right? Like, the the blocking the pass blocking element I think is the important thing that distinguishes these guys because as a runner which is sort of in the name of the position and is what we're referring to when we talk about running backs don't matter or the the value conversation is that as a runner these guys are are largely interchangeable based on the situation the amount of carries they get the system they play in and the offensive line in front of them you're talking about guys who have all been all-stars who have all carried for over a thousand yards who can all be productive in the right system and so if you have a glut of options it's just supply and demand here and i just i think there's too much supply for the demand in the market there's Every virtually every CFL team last year had a running back that you could say, yeah, I'm comfortable with that guy. That guy works well. Like he's he's a he's a good player. I'm getting what I basically need out of that position. Almost every team could say that last season. To me, there's not a whole lot of incentive to slap down a big paycheck on a guy to try and moderately upgrade a position where when you look at it, the hard numbers, the facts, the statistics, the analytics, it's not going to add wins to your franchise. You can spend that money better elsewhere. All I'm going to say is why stop at the thousand guys coming out of college? You could go even cheaper. There's a nursing home down the street. What about the local elementary school? Let's get eight-year-old Johnny in the backfield, standing four foot nine, 78 pounds. Let's go. Tote the rock. Because this position is completely irrelevant, and anybody doing it will always produce the exact same amount. Let's forget the fact that Kadeem Carey and Dedrick Mills, behind the same offensive line in the exact same system, averaged almost one yard per carry different. Let's just focus on the fact that 
all of these players are the exact same. No, JC, come on. Running back is not the most important position in the professional football world, but it is an important position. Defenses have to account for these running backs differently. And yes, the yards per carry might be similar with some of these guys, but defenses are not preparing for Taekwon Mazel the same way as they're preparing for Brady Oliveira. Teams are not as afraid of Devontae Williams as they are of AJ Olette. That is just not true. And the threat of what these guys can do is ball carriers, the, the, the quality with which they could protect the passer will completely affect the way opposing defenses are setting their alignments for pass rushing, completely separate the way in which they prepare and game plan for these offenses and the looks that they will provide for these offenses. So it does matter. The one thing I want to add for, is the Montreal the record, Alouettes. Go ahead, JC. For the record, you're wrong. The difference between Diedrich Mills and Kadeem Carey was 0.3 yards, not a full yard. Well, it was okay, not a full yard. Le- I would have to double less check. Than, less than half a yard. It was 5.6 for Diedrich Mills, 5.3 for Kadeem Carey. Fair enough. There are examples, though, across the league of if you want to compare Devontae Williams, for example, to Ante Milanovic Litre in Ottawa, you can look at those types of numbers and they are different. Getting back to what I was about to say. Ante Milanovic Litre is two years removed from taking Kadeem Carey at the height of his powers off off the field. The Calgary Stampeders were like, ah, you know. In situational. It's more important for us to get another American receiver on the field than it is to have arguably the most talented player on our roster on the field. Because guess what? The running back position doesn't matter. You are a high school coach. It flabbergasts me that you don't understand what packages are. Getting specific players on the field is an advantage in certain situations. And why, by the way, would you ever expect a running back or edge rusher or even DB necessarily to play every single snap of a game? There is something to be said for a pitch count. But But that's not what we're talking about here. We we all know that Ante Milanovic Liger was getting put on the field in fairly important situations. And let's be frank. Well, he's a good player. But I was saying he wasn't. I'm saying there's a difference between him and another player in 2023. And now you're talking about the Calgary Stampeders seven years ago. While I'm trying to make a point about William Standback. It's ancient. Let's make a Standback point. I want to commend the Montreal Alouettes for releasing Standback early because I would say that this running back market is akin to a game of musical chairs, right? We know there's vacancies in Saskatchewan, Winnipeg, Toronto, Ottawa, and Montreal, and there are more running backs than there are spots. Because one other thing I think we have not talked about enough is the fact that with the collapse to a certain extent of spring football in the United States, there are going to be a higher caliber of young players coming up from college, from the NFL. We we even saw a guy signed, I believe his name was Derek Parrish, defensive lineman slash fullback. He was a he was a 2023 NFL draft pick. He got drafted by the Jacksonville Jaguars less than a year ago, and he is currently under contract with the Toronto Argonauts. In past years, we were not seeing guys come up to the CFL so early. They were wanting to sit and wait at home, sign in the XFL, sign the USFL, whatever. So that, to me, means there's going to be a higher caliber of neglist player potentially available to teams. So between that, between the, the pending free agents who are available at the running back position, 
there's a lot of, of spots for or there's there's a lot of talent for what at the end of the day is not going to be a ton of spots. So by releasing William Stanback early, the Alouettes are giving him a better chance of having a chair to sit in when the music stops playing in this game of running back musical chairs. And I think that it's really cool that the Alouettes were willing to do that for a player who gave five good seasons to that team. And despite, yeah, not being the player he he once was, still played very well for them in the playoffs and scored. Like I, I remember that 32 yard touchdown run in the gray cup and thinking without that, I'm like, I think the game could have very well gotten away from the Montreal Alouettes. The bombers came out, like they were Everyone shot out of a matter, cannon. Hodge. Anybody could have done that. Well, I know. And and my 91-year-old Oma in a wheelchair could have done the same thing as long as her batteries were freshly charged because <laughs> it's irrelevant. It doesn't even matter. Let, let's, but let, let's be frank. It was that a great play. Was all, that was all Tyler Sneed and James Tuck setting that edge. Let's, let's start right there. That's what <sighs> yeah. made that run happen. Five right. foot and, seven, and it, Tyler Sneed coming in with force. To set the edge. So when a quarterback makes a great throw and they get great protection and the receiver makes a great catch, the, the it, it's not at all because of those factors. It's just the quarterback's amazing. But when the <laughs> running back gets a great block and makes a great run as a result, it's like, oh, well, that just shows it's irrelevant and garbage and trash. They don't even matter. They're like a subhuman being at this point. Who even needs them? Because it's all just their teammates. Like, give me a break, JC. One of the most insightful takes that all the I think time. can help frame this discussion, fellas, came from Andrew Harris. And he said, you know, you have CFL teams out here paying receivers over $300,000, and that's Geno Lewis right now. There's only one of them, but Kenny Lawler's up there and in around, what is it, $285,000 for the that's correct. season? So you've had these receivers change their marketplace – Whereas running backs are kind of around, you know, that $160,000 range with William Stanback. And Harris knows this well because once he was around that $230,000 range. And Harris is saying, well, a running back touches the football, you know, how many times per game? If it's a bell cow number one back, it's going to be 20 plus times per game. And you have a receiver out on the edge, perhaps only making a couple catches per game. And they're right now almost, well, Geno Lewis is in a way, doubling the salary of the highest paid running back in the league, at least in 2023. And I think there's some credence to that perspective. Yes, Harris is a former running back and is the fifth leading rusher in CFL history. But when you just look at that from an overall perspective, I think it shows that there is some warrant to these running backs being valued because of their impact and how many touches they have on a per game basis. I agree with you. JC is not going to agree with you. So we (laughs) should move on. So we should move on. I we're, we're stuck in the 1980s gentlemen with these, these takes. No, we're not. not. Oh my gosh. You're ridiculous. We're calling you. We're not calling you jumbo cheese anymore. We're calling you stale cheese because that's what your take is. It is stale and boring. I, finally, very clearly, finally, the NFL is not the board. be all end all. JC, there is a feel to things. There is a difference, and I know you want to say that all running backs are the same, but bro, like from playing quarterback at least at the university level, I know I'm there's not, a difference. They're from not the Dick same. 
You have said they are the same on multiple occasions. They are the same in that they are interchangeable. They are not identical. Oh my god! Same dude. You just cannot say they're the same. You can't say they're interchangeable because each guy has a different set, and the defense game plans for them in a different way. JC, let's say this. Okay, here we go. Give me your real answer here. As a high school coach, when you face another high school team. And your defense is game planning. Do you not game plan more for the all-star running back on a given team than a team that does not have one? I scheme more for their system than I do. No, I talked about the running back. You're not getting out of this. From a running back perspective, do you not scheme more for that dynamic running back than you do for a team that does not have one? I mean... If there's a dynamic running back, we're pretty much screwed to begin with. With my team. Oh, so 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 hold on. So if you're more screwed against a dynamic running back, this is high school football. This is high school. It doesn't matter. You said they're interchangeable. Running backs are all the same, bro. This is your high school is much different because of the like you you stop the run by being disciplined and gap sound and holding position, right? High schoolers are not very good at doing that. Even our well-coached team is going to have busts all the time, okay? You can't be that. Once you're a professional, they're extremely good at doing that. They're Stopping the run is much easier at a professional level than stopping the pass because it's just sound fundamentals. This is, it's drilled into the guys. There's less variables at play. And so to be an excellent running team and winning that way, it's possible, but it's much more difficult offensively to execute that because it requires perfection all the time. I have to major be questions able to about this whole that. take. Uh, here, here's whole what I will take. say. I think you are looking at this as very black and white. On one extreme, you've got the 1980s where running backs were often first overall in the NFL draft. On the other side, you've got the white where it's like running backs are completely irrelevant. And JC, I would just like to introduce you to the color gray. <laughs> There's actually 50 shades of gray. They wrote an entire book about it. So welcome to the middle of the spectrum where running backs can simultaneously at least matter a little bit, but are also simultaneously not the most important position on the field. Ooh, Why welcome. would Welcome. William Sandbeck makes sense as an ad for the BC Lions, JC. Because they're – it would only make sense if the financials worked out. If they had money to spend and they didn't need to spend it elsewhere. Aside from the financials, it's because he's a better running back right now than Mazzell. Agree or he's disagree? More, yeah, we agree. Okay, so we yeah, have agreed that running backs are They're not the all the same, and they are also not interchangeable. I mean, are <laughs> we go. the BC we've, Lions? We've just, we've just said that we've all agreed on that. Yeah, but the Lions were the best offense in the league, and their running back was arguably, I would think, I would say, the only hold on, hold on, hold on, bad running back the in the entire numbers league from last year. The yeah. two best scoring offenses in the league had the two best running backs in the league. Go look at the scoring numbers, bro. Do your research, okay? You want to talk about analytics? Winnipeg scored 594 points. Just behind them, Toronto, 591. I'm not saying it's only because of the running backs, but those guys played a major factor in how well 
those teams were able to score the football. Obviously, Zach Caleros, I felt like, had an MOP-type season. Chad Kelly was voted the MOP. But these guys played major roles. You cannot doubt that. I don't dismiss that. I wanted you to answer. We sat sat here months ago, and you guys yelled at me because it was ridiculous. I said, bring Olivera Sugar at the MOP. Right? He was outstanding. He's just not particularly valuable. He's not particularly valuable. (laughs) Moving on. The Hamilton Tiger Cats acquired Canadian linebacker Jordan Williams via trade from the Toronto Argonauts in a deal that included eight draft picks and a neglist player. How could the ratio-breaking defender fit into the Ticats lineup? It's pretty simple. He's going to be a starter on defense for the Tiger Cats. I think we're going to see three starters on defense for Hamilton, Stavros, Katz, and Tonis. Your boy, JC, let's not get you started on another tangent here. Very good player, obviously. And Jordan Williams, and then one other to-be-determined Canadian. Then probably have four on offense, three on the offensive line, and likely a receiver. So I think this trade does make sense, and people need to remember that Ed Hervey was the guy that selected Jordan Williams, number one overall, when he was with the BC Lions. The intriguing part to me right now with the Hamilton Tiger Cats is – What could this potentially signal for Simone Lawrence? Is Jordan Williams going to be the Mac or Mike or middle linebacker for the layman? Is he going to play the weak side linebacker spot where Simone Lawrence has traditionally been? Because Lawrence, as of this taping, does not have a signed contract with the Tiger Cats. And if Hamilton's going to make another position Canadian on defense, you know, how are they going to go? about that from Toronto's perspective I think it makes a lot of sense because they're going to go with Jonathan Jones in the middle who they've re-signed to a two-year contract they've also locked down weak side linebacker Winton McManus who was absolutely stellar for them in 2023 could have been a most outstanding defensive player candidate if not for the season that Adarius Pickett had at the strong side linebacker spot so from Toronto's perspective it makes a lot of sense you know except for the fact that they paid this guy $35,000 offseason roster bonus on January 1st. So I guess the Argos felt like they'd be better off moving up some spots in the draft and going with Jones at middle linebacker than having Williams there. Ed Hervey has often been open about the fact that he wants to build his teams through the trenches. And I think that this move signals a potential ratio change for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. They've often started a Canadian at nose tackle between Mo Diallo, Ted Laurent, who's been there forever. To me, I think the Hamilton Tiger Cats are going to spend heavily at the defensive line of uh, position of free agency. I don't think there's a single guy who was under contract with the team on defensive line last season who has resigned for 2024. You look at Dylan Wynn, you look at Malik Carney, you look at Mason Bennett. They just cut Jonathan Kongbo. They they've got a ton of money to spend at that position. And I think they will do so. And I think they are smart to go and use their Canadian spots at this linebacker position. The other thing I'll say, I think you hit the nail on the head there, broken wing Ed Hervey. This is like, like Jordan Williams is his white whale. Like let's, let's dial back the clock to 2020. This is before anybody knows that the season's going to be canceled due to COVID. You've got the BC Lions sitting at third in the draft. They trade up with Calgary for that number one pick, and they go get Jordan Williams. Well, the season's canceled. 
There's some behind-the-scenes drama, murmurings about Michael Riley's contract, and all of a sudden, after when the 2020 season was supposed to take place in November, Ed Hervey suddenly resigns due to quote-unquote personal reasons. Then he goes to Hamilton. I think he would have loved to sign Jordan Williams in free agency, but lo and behold, he doesn't get the free agency. Why? Because he gets traded to Toronto, and he signs a two-year deal. Well, now Ed Hervey, finally in 2024, is a GM again, and he gets to bring in his guy, Jordan Williams. I'm sure he's going to shed a tear from the press box when he sees Jordan Williams take his first step for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. His white whale, who he finally gets after drafting him four years ago. Uh, so I like this move for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. They had to give up some draft capital, but they also got a litany of picks back from the Toronto Argonauts. And as for the Argos, I mean, they've now re-signed Winton McManus, and Jonathan Jones, who is obviously going to be their starter at Mike. So I like this for both moves. The, the Argos do lose an impact Canadian, but I also think they're moving away from playing a Canadian in that linebacker spot. What I love about this move for the Hamilton Tiger Cats is the versatility it allows them to have as part of the first move of a ratio change. Because we all know Jordan Williams can play both that middle linebacker spot or that weak side linebacker spot at a high level. He's physical enough to play in the middle, but he's an athletic freak, as we all know from his time at the Ontario Regional Combine, and he can cover out in space as the will, which means if they're going to play two Canadian linebackers, which remains to be seen, but I think it's trending in that direction, now they're not shoehorned into attacking just a guy who can play one of those. They can explore options at either one, and there's some intriguing players available. I wonder if they go and try and reunite Jordan Williams with Ben Halagic, who's a pending free agent out in BC, a hundred tackle guy who can play at a very high level in the middle. Or do you instead stick Williams in the middle and go after uh, Adam O'Claire? out of Ottawa who can start at will or Micah tights who has started at will and is a pending free agent out of Saskatchewan, either any of those three guys, I think would give you a very, very solid Canadian starting duo in the linebacking core because outside of Matthew Betts, I don't think you're going to get a guy on the defensive line that can elevate your team as a starter. Right. And sure, they have the money to go out there and lure Matthew Betts away from BC if he hits this negotiating window and they want to try and make that big swing. But I think there are more options out there at linebacker. And there's some good players that they have. If they resign Fraser Sopic or they add some other players in free agency as depth pieces that you can have and you can further reinforce that linebacking core and have a nice little unit going with Canadian depth, much like the BC Lions have done the last couple of years. The Argos defense is undergoing a change that we kind of all expected when Corey Mace became the head coach with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And just by the nature of the season that they had a franchise regular season, 16 wins and everybody thinking they were going to dominate and get to the great cup. That didn't happen, but still when you're on a team that that successful and has that many wins, guys are going to want, raises so I think we could see a scenario here where 
player like Jamal Peters, a highly rated corner in this league, is likely to go to the negotiating window and could leave because Toronto doesn't have the money to keep everybody in the building or on the boat, I should say, especially with Chad Kelly getting that big raise at quarterback. Canadian defensive lineman Luol Ugoak has signed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers after recording 19 tackles and four sacks as a rookie to help the Alouettes win the Great Cup. He joins Douglas Coleman, Ottawa to Chicago, Austin Mack, Montreal to Atlanta, and Tyreek McAllister, Hamilton to Las Vegas, as this year's CFL to NFL signees so far. Which one do you think is the most likely to stick south of the border, and which player are you most surprised did not get signed yet? Well, that's a great question. I I think that Austin Mack probably has the best chance to stick. Yeah, he's a little bit older, but I think the Falcons are a team that needs to round out that receiving core. Um, They also need to do a better job of using the the talented weapons that they already have. But with a coaching change, I think that's, that's likely to happen. But the reason I point at Mac is he's the only guy we know of who got a significant signing bonus. We don't know about the guaranteed money included in Ugoax deal. We also have yet to learn about any guaranteed money that Coleman or McAllister received. And oftentimes that guaranteed money can be the extra little impetus that a team needs to keep you. The player who I'm most surprised didn't get signed would have to be Carthel Flowers Lloyd, the special team standout with the Hamilton Tiger Cats, only because of how many workouts he actually had. It should be noted, CFL players are still eligible to sign in the NFL for another two weeks. The window closes as free agency opens, so it's possible that Flowers Lloyd will still get signed. It's possible that there are more workouts or signings that could come, but now on the last day of January, I think it's it's unlikely that more will take place. I think it's pretty safe to assume that these are the only four that are going to happen. As for Ugoak, I'll give him all the credit in the world. I talked to Lawal well before the draft, and he was a guy who had been moved inside in his last season at Texas Christian University. He feels that he is a better edge player, and I talked to some talent evaluators around the CFL before the draft who said, you know what? We're not sure he can really bend well enough to play on the edge. We're not really sure he's that kind of guy. It might be better if he puts on some weight and plays inside. And guess what? Uguak stuck to his guns, was still a first-round pick with the Alouettes, ended up winning a starting job, which is very rare for players coming out of the CFL draft as raw rookies, and was an impact player on their playoff run. He was the guy in the last play of the Grey Cup who recognized exactly what the Winnipeg Blue Bombers were going to try to do to score a touchdown on the last play of the game, which was that punt that they had for for the onside look. And the fact that at the age of just 23-24, he is putting together things like uh, a, a savvy veteran of 8 or 10 years would put together is extremely impressive. So kudos to Lawal Yugoak for believing in himself and obviously achieving a ton of success very early on in his career. The obvious answer to the first part of this question about who is most likely to stick is Austin Mack. And I know Justin Dunk is about to wax poetic on that situation. So I will instead use that section of time to talk about Ugoak. And, you know, 
I've earned a bit of a reputation on this podcast for excellent, absolutely correct, fair and balanced takes that are delivered <laughs> entirely rationally. I know, but I believe I may have made an error. This may shock you gentlemen, but coming out of the draft, I was one of those guys who didn't believe in Yugoak. I was one of those guys saying, ah, that's a real reach in the first round. I don't think he can play inside. I don't think he can bend enough on the edge. I think I went so far as to call it a bust and say I would have to eat my hat if he had any success. Well, uh, the Evans at about 450 right now. My, <laughs> my baseball cap is is roasting nicely. I got some rosemary, some thyme, a little salt Don't put on any there. cheese on it, bro. You're not allowed to spice it up. <laughs> no, just raw hat, raw hat, because he was sensational. And it was pretty obvious from the second he stepped on the field as a starter his rookie season that I had – monumentally screwed up that evaluation. And I am happy to tell anyone who will listen that I did because he was an excellent player in his first season in the CFL. I wish him all the best in Tampa Bay and, and in the rest of his career, because he really impressed me. Now, in terms of guys who I think should be in the NFL, who I'm surprised or not, I'll go to two of his teammates. Because I am absolutely stunned that Mustafa Johnson and Reggie Stubblefield from the Montreal Alouettes are not in the NFL right now. Those are two guys, when we went into Grey Cup week, raw rookies, excellent players. We had them circled. Like, we've got to talk to these guys because they're, they're going to be gone next year. We need to find out what the NFL sense is for them because they've got the size and they are producing at an extremely high level. I would argue Mustafa Johnson is probably the, if not the best, the second best defensive tackle in the CFL right now and has NFL size and Reggie Stubblefield. If you look at the analytics and the stuff that pro football focus has put out was as good, if not better, than Quantez Stiggers, who has a chance to get drafted in the NFL. And he has good size, six foot, 195. It's not like he's a shrimp out there. I expected both of those guys to sign quickly in the NFL. They both got a couple of workouts, but I am stunned that it, as of right now, it appears that they'll be back with the Montreal Alouettes. That's a huge win for Danny Machocha and that staff. The player most likely to stick is definitely Austin Mack. You guys have already said it. I'll just reiterate it for a couple of reasons here. Terry Fontenot, the GM there, made it known early on in the process. And Ryan Pace, the former Chicago Bears general manager, is now the director of player personnel, was actually the first person from the Falcons to reach out to Mack just moments after the Grey Cup was over. So they came fast and furious. That really showed Mac that the Falcons meant business. And he actually turned down workouts with other NFL teams. He probably would have been the leader in terms of CFL players with NFL workouts. And the other reason I think it makes a lot of sense for him to go to Atlanta, and this is just purely speculation, but is the fact that there's been a lot of talk about the Chicago Bears selecting Caleb Williams, number one overall in the 2024 NFL draft. If that actually does happen, people think that the Bears could trade Justin Fields, who played with Mac at the Ohio State University, 
potentially to Atlanta. So that would make a lot of sense, give him a familiar target to work with there. Atlanta needs to upgrade, especially the receiving core. Kyle Pitts is a great young tight end. They have Drake London as a receiver. But I think Mac looked at that depth chart and said, hey, if these guys want me that bad, they're contacting me right after the Grey Cup. They're willing to give me upfront money and have me in the building, fly me down just to sign that that meant a lot to Mac. The player that I'm most surprised hasn't signed in the NFL yet and perhaps might not do so, but I think that should, is Sam Emelis. He had a handful of workouts, ultra-athletic receiver, made a bunch of highlight reel plays that really show his elite-level athleticism. And I thought that as that process was playing out for him working out for teams, he would have signed a contract on that first day when players could on January Eighth. Now, free agents who actually hit the open market can still sign with NFL teams. But as Hodge alluded to, players who are under contract with CFL teams in 2024 have that window closed when the CFL free agent market opens. So hopefully for Emilis, or as some Ryder fans like to refer to him as Hemilis, because he was taking balls off the tops of multiple DBs heads last year in the CFL, I hope he gets an NFL contract because I think he deserves it. It's now time for Hodges Heritage Moment. On this day in 2021, quarterbacks Matt Nichols and Nick Arbuckle were released by the Toronto Argonauts and Ottawa Red Blacks, respectively. Both players had large offseason roster bonuses due the following day, that's February 1st, that their teams were unwilling to pay following the COVID-19 pandemic. In an ironic twist of fate, the passers ended up changing teams almost immediately with Nichols joining Paul Apolis in Ottawa and Arbuckle joining Ryan Dinwiddie in Toronto. Nichols played only six games with the Red Blacks, throwing for zero touchdowns and three picks and never took another CFL snap. Arbuckle, meanwhile, bounced from Toronto to Edmonton and back to Ottawa, but has never fully lived up to the hype that accompanied him when he left Calgary after the 2019 season. He is currently a pending free agent. This is one of the wildest only in the CFL moments I can think of where two quarterbacks were simultaneously cut and switched places. I think it's probably pretty obvious that this was coordinated ahead of time, though, of course, the parties at B would never admit that on the record. I'm curious. We'll start with Dunk. Arbuckle is a pending free agent. The Calgary Stampeders need a backup quarterback. Do you think there's any chance that there could be a potential reunion there? Like, like maybe any? That would probably be the best spot. And I mean, he played his best football in Dave Dickinson's system. So I think it's a valid question, Hodge. The other one that's comparable to me that comes to mind is when Trevor Harris went to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and then Cody Fajardo went to the Montreal Alouettes. A little bit different in terms of those circumstances, but... It is a rarity. It would be more fun if these trades happened instead of the guys getting released and then signing that way. I I think Calgary is really the only true fit for Arbuckle at this point. If it haven't hasn't happened, I don't think it's gonna happen. And it would be good for him to go to a spot where he has some familiarity, a place where Maybe the starting job isn't super settled and they still trust him because I don't think most teams in the league do. This particular heritage moment just makes me think about some dark days because can you can you remember when the biggest story 
in the league was Matt Nichols and Nick Arbuckle. Jeez. Whew. Glad we're not talking about that anymore. There was a lot of hype about those guys. And, you know, yeah. to be fair, Nick Arbuckle was, I think, the only starter, what, in the regular season to beat the Winnipeg Blue Bombers that year with the Argos? Yeah, I, I believe that's correct. And I will say the 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 Nick Arbuckle slander is probably deserved. Since leaving Calgary, he has thrown 11 touchdown passes and 24 interceptions. Uh, he also averaged only 5.9 yards per attempt this past season in Ottawa. So clearly if he is to continue a CFL career, he needs to rejuvenate it somewhere. Calgary is probably the best place to do it. I do think JC, you are being too dismissive. However, of Matt Nichols, he had one of the worst injuries, maybe in CFL history happened in Edmonton where his foot got twisted around. It was horrible. He came back from it. He overcame a torn ACL as well. He overcame a ton of injuries and played at not an all-star level, but a relatively high level for a number of years in Edmonton and in, in Winnipeg. Obviously, he was done by the time he got to Ottawa. But yeah, I think that, yeah, that Matt Nichols yeah. is underrated. Yeah, you forgot. JC doesn't care about player injuries. Oh, sorry, you're right. It wasn't a head injury, therefore it doesn't matter. Your foot can get twisted 180 degrees in a horrific, unbelievably tragic injury. But that doesn't matter because... It, you know, it's just it's just what happens. Or Garrett Marino can take a cheap shot and break a guy's femur and cause him to have like how many freaking surgeries and staph infections and all that's, that. But that's different. Well, that's clearly injury. illegal. It's clearly illegal. Wasn't it's a head injury. Though, buddy. injury. Wasn't a head no, it's injury. Not. So it's all good. Hey, but but let's just be thankful that Matt Nichols didn't commit the ultimate crime, which is playing the running back position. <laughs> I would I would like to see that Matt Nichols trying to play JC primary would probably back. say that ACLs are interchangeable too. You just take them from one cadaver <laughs> to the next. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just take one from the right leg, stick it in the left. There we go. <laughs> As Hodge was trying to say, let's get to the three minute drill. Michael Ball is out as the voice of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders on CKRM Radio in Regina after two years in the role. Is that a surprise? I don't know if it's a surprise because I know a lot of people have questioned maybe some of his social media posts. I will just say on a personal note, Michael had me on his show on a regular basis on the sports cage and was always great to me personally. And I appreciate his passion for the CFL. The Calgary Stampeders re-signed running back Diedrich Mills. Does that mean Kadeem Carey has played his last game with the Stamps? Suspect that it does, and I like this move. Diedrich Mills was slightly more productive on a per-carry basis than Kadeem Carey was last year. He's, I think, slightly more physical as well. But more importantly, he's five years younger, and youth is what matters at a position as interchangeable as running back. The Chicago Bears have hired former CFL quarterback Kerry Joseph as their QB coach. Is that a smart hire for the Bears? It really is. Joseph is coming up the NFL coaching ranks very quickly. And if everything goes as a bunch of NFL insiders predict, he's going to be coaching potentially, I guess I should say, 
Caleb Williams, who is hailed as a very unique and possible generational talent. We're going to have a former CFL star coaching a potential budding star in the Windy City. Really intrigued to see what he does with Caleb Williams. Brandy Ambrosi went on the league's official podcast and gave a less than encouraging update regarding Halifax expansion. Are you disappointed with what the commission said? Of course I'm disappointed. Everybody wants expansion. I think fans want expansion. The league obviously wants expansion. And I think the media wants expansion because there's like seven jobs covering the CFL in this country. And that might Plus get us seafood, to eight. Man. Plus all the seafood. That is true. Uh, big man loves seafood. But this was not encouraging at all. The league appears to have essentially moved on from Halifax at the time being. And everybody banging the table saying, go back city, go back city. Read the exact quote we had in the article. The quote was something to the effect of, we are discussing having up to, to build a plan to go and have conversations with Quebec City. Which means not only are they not talking about Quebec City, but they are still figuring out a plan for how they would approach Quebec City. So anybody pretending that this is going to happen, I'm not saying it will never happen, but anybody pretending this is going to happen in the next even 10 years, I think is living in fantasy land. Saskatchewan has re-signed offensive lineman Philip Blake, who recently turned 38. Does he still have some gas left in the tank? I think he does. Offensive linemen, as we all know, can play at a high level into their late 30s, sometimes even touching 40. He doesn't have much gas left, but when he came back from injury last year, I thought he was one of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders' better offensive linemen. He can still bring some value to the table. The Montreal Alouettes have re-signed offensive lineman Christian Matt, who who is also 38 years old. Who is the better 38-year-old, Blake or Matt? It seems like this is a tough question. I think it's pretty close, but I'll go with Matt, and maybe that's recency bias because he won a cup with the Montreal Alouettes, and he's been there for so long. But honestly, the way that guy talks about football, he's going to make a wonderful analyst in Quebec, in French, and I mean, he speaks English flawlessly too, so he could do the same thing as well in English whenever his career is done. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers re-signed Canadian running back and University of Guelph graduate Johnny Augustine. Is that a positive or negative sign for Brady Oliveira being back in Bomberland? I would call it a neutral sign because I think Johnny Augustine is the type of player you'd want to have, even if you didn't have a Canadian starting running back. He does a lot of dirty work on special teams and he can help you close out a game out of the backfield. So I, I don't think it's positive or negative. I know that's probably dodging the question, but I, I'd call it a neutral sign. University of Illinois offensive lineman Isaiah Adams topped the latest edition of the CFL Scouting Bureau. Do you believe that he'll be selected in the NFL draft? Absolutely. Not only do I think he'll be selected, I think Isaiah Adams... Played some tackle, but his natural position is guard. He's a top five guard in this NFL draft. I truly believe it. I think he's going to be a huge riser coming out of this week's Senior Bowl game and practices. I like him a lot. He's a special mover for that guard position. The Calgary Stampeders added Andre Bolduc to their coaching staff following a one-year stint with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Is he a nice addition in Cowtown? He is in a well-respected coach around the league. I think he'll do a solid job there with the Stamps. 
Former second-round pick Samuel Thomaset has joined the Concordia Stingers as an assistant coach following his retirement from the CFL. Is that a good hire? It is. I love to see a Rougiore alumnus taking his talents to an RSEQ rival. <laughs> One thing that does stand out about this to me, though, Samuel Thomasin is 28. That means he is 10 years younger than Philip Blake and Christian Matt, who we just talked about. Young coach, old player. Who who, who, who figures this stuff? Former second overall CFL draft pick Nelson Lacombo signed back with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. What does he have to do to continue his development? Yeah, he, he's just got to develop into a full-time starter if he's going to maximize the expectations that the Saskatchewan Rough Riders put on him. They drafted him second overall in 2021. And yes, he's a Canadian who can pitch hit as a starting corner, but you look at some of the guys that they could have had in what was not a particularly strong draft, particularly guys they could have had on the offensive line and some of their weaker spots at guard. Peter Nicastro, Pierre-Olivier Lestrage, Bryce Bell, Liam Dobson. You sure think the Saskatchewan Rough Riders might have rather had some of those guys for their current needs. Canadian edge rusher Jonathan Congo was released by the Hamilton Tiger Cats at his request. Where will he end up in 2024? You know, there's some intriguing possibilities here, but I don't think there's one that necessarily jumps out to me right now. I think we're going to have to see where some of these top defensive linemen go, like in AC Leonard, and then who decides to go Canadian at the position. Perhaps you could pair Congo with a Mason Bennett, who is a pending free agent as well. It's really going to come down to ratio need and how a team feels Kongbo can do in their system. Chris Kolonkowski signed a two-year contract extension with the Blue Bombers, tying him to the team through 2025. What does that mean for pending free agent Jeff Gray? Well, I think it means Jeff Gray is going to have to leave Winnipeg if he wants to be a, certainly be a starter this upcoming season because at the end of the day, this is a team that has brought back two interior guys in Patrick Newfound and Chris Kolonkowski, give both of them raises, and they've got Liam Dobson and Tui Eli, who I think are both starting caliber offensive linemen who could very easily slot in that left guard spot who are still on relatively cheap deals. Dobson's on a rookie deal. Ellie is on a cheapie that he signed coming back from a year off in 2022. So I think the chances of Gray being back with his hometown club are not very strong. Finally, we would like to extend our sincere condolences to the family and friends of Kelly Malvo, former CFL defensive back who passed away this past week at the age of 47. He played 10 seasons in the CFL as a member of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, Calgary Stampeders, Montreal Alouettes, Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and Edmonton football team. He was a two-time CFL All-Star. And boys, this is like the third or fourth straight week that we've had to end the show on a somber note. Here's hoping that we do not have to do so again for a long, long time. All best to Malvo and his family and friends. Gone much too soon. We'll be back. Thank you for listening with our next episode of the Three Donation Podcast on Wednesday, February 6th, when the CFL's negotiation window will be open. Who knows, boys? You might have some new contracts to talk about. Thank you.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.